Well, this morning, we're going to be in a text where he begins to now wrap all of these various things up. And you're going to hear uh, from Paul to the Philippian church a lot of commendation and appreciation for the people that have supported him. And just as, as uh, Pastor Ben just had read to us just a few moments ago, and uh, th- this, this idea that this gospel ministry is not just an isolated work that only the Apostle Paul was doing. It was a partnership. We've been reading this, this very familiar verse in, in Philippians 1, verse 27, that has become a theme verse. Walk worthy, these statements, as you're living it out, side by side. For whose sake? For the sake of the gospel. There's something about a gospel-centered life, gospel-centered living, that brings you all the way to, did you notice the end verse in verse number 20? To God be the glory forever and ever, amen. Like that is where he's, he's moving us all through earth's history, all through every a single writer of the, of the Bible, is to say, God is God and we are not. And the only way we can know God is to know his son. This is exactly why Jesus said, if you want to know the Father, know the Son. And he, is, and, he, and he has deliberately pushed us in that direction because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have the most unified relationship that will ever exist of which the congregation of the church and local churches at large desire to have that kind of unity. Well, as we walk through this text this morning and we think about it, I want to do so in light of this main idea that Christians can trust God, that God will provide everything we need according to the riches of Christ Jesus. That is really his, his apt demonstration in this particular ch- a text of Scripture. You'll notice he says this, and my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of Christ. And that's where he's going to conclude us at the end to climax that particular idea but don't you remember don't you find it difficult when you're when you classify something as a need in your life that all of a sudden you're tempted to believe that somehow God isn't providing in the way that you think that he should have you ever been there perhaps maybe it it might be uh, financial needs Perhaps it might be friendship needs. And we're using that word needs very loosely in the sense that we think that unless we have these things, then I cannot experience ultimate satisfaction, ultimate sufficiency in Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted to help us realize God is really all we need. And because he's so good and because he's so kind, he supplies so many other blessings even though we don't often need what we think we need. But he is all that we need. That's why I think when we sing that song together, all I have is Christ. I would challenge you. When you, when you sing that from your heart, do you believe that? If everything else was stripped away from you, if everything else was taken away, and he was, every, he was all that you had left, could you be okay with that? Could you be okay then with, with living in a way that was not what, what people describe as the American dream and say, no, but, but I have Christ. And that is truly 
everything that I will experience. Now, this text of Scripture, I want to unpack this, kind of, this particular main idea by unfolding three particular means by which God's provision is displayed to local church believers and to believers all across the world. And the first one of those uh, in our outline this morning is fellowship. Will you notice this in verse 14? Paul begins to say these kinds of commendating words to the, to the church at Philippi. He said, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Uh, it, it, was, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know from the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, Paul is, is, is now coming to the end of this letter, and, and he's had to hit some hard things. He had to talk about various unifying components. He had to talk about Yodi and Syntyche's issue within the church, and now he's moving closer towards the end, and he doesn't want them to forget this. I love you, Church of Philippi, so much. Any hard thing I would say, any difficult thing that you would experience, whether persecution or difficulty, it pales into comparison of being lost for eternity. And you, Paul was saying to these people, are not lost. You are partners in the gospel work. You know, one of the ways that God's provided, I don't know if you've experienced this, perhaps you have, is God provides fellowship of believers. I mean, look around for a moment. <laughs> What we experience together that we would never experience alone. There's nothing like jamming out in your car and praising God and, and all by yourself and someone thinks you're nuts right next door, but you come here and you're not just one particular bulb that's given off light. We are, we are an arra arrangement of diversity in the midst of unity so that together collectively we could experience and look around and say look at what God is doing see image bearers of God when they're collected together in local assemblies begin to image God in a way that no image bearer could do all by themselves which is why diversity in the midst of unity is absolutely necessary with the kind of heart attitude that we display so that we say, God is all in all. It's so that we would say, wow, there is no one individual who is the perfect model. It's his son, Jesus Christ, that is the one. But don't you love that when you, all of a sudden, you have a particular need and you're asking yourself, especially when it comes to friendships and relationships, maybe perhaps you're in a, in a place where this is new, uh, we have a, a, a lot of uh, people who visit our church on a, on a fairly regular basis. We have a whole bunch of college students who are here. Maybe you're here and you're coming to college and you're thinking, I don't know a whole lot of people. You can be sure that by God's good providential hand and his sovereign work, that it was no accident that you have met the people you have already met. That was not something that all of a sudden you thought, wow, that was accident. That was luck. Believers, you know we don't believe in that luck stuff. We believe in a sovereign, providential hand that every relationship, every conversation, everything that we hear is divinely ordained by a good God because he loves you. 
And he wants you to be in community. He wants you to enjoy the fellowship. And when Paul had lived out his life here in this particular book, sitting in a prison cell, chained to a Roman soldier, being delighted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, writing back in the midst of his, his, his circumstances and say, I love the fellowship that you have sent to me on behalf of your body through the person of Epaphroditus. Oh, there was something special that in the time of need that he would go and, and, and he would be able to experience that kind of joy. Notice this. He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. This idea of trouble has to do with a level of affliction that often Paul would experience in light of sharing the gospel truth. It wasn't just like, oh, you happen to be in a bad circumstance. Practically, you don't have enough money. He's saying something bigger. They shared amidst Paul's ministry in light of the affliction that comes from sharing the gospel. Have you noticed this when you share the gospel with people uh, at various times, Christians, that it's, sometimes they look at you with the most bewildered look like, you are honestly nuts. You, you really believe that. You really believe that Jesus came and he's the only way, the truth, and the life. Yes. We do. And all of a sudden, when you come to the body and you realize there's more people who believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ as their sole desire and the only one from which salvation could come. They're here. Paul experienced that kind of fellowship and they noticed the gospel-centered ministry of Paul and they were willing to share in Paul's troubles that, 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 that came about as a result of Paul traveling from town to town to town, sharing the gospel, getting beat up, sharing the gospel, getting berated, sharing the gospel, being let down in a, in a basket. Uh, you know, you have to think in the first century, if you were a follower of Paul, like, I mean, when someone said, hey, you want to be on our team? <laughs> you do remind yourself, like, you might have hesitated for a second. But these men didn't. And this church didn't. They, they deliberately had their path and Paul's path, path regularly meet and wanted to support this kind of fellowship ministry. And here's what they had. Fellowship comes and the means by which God provides it is spiritual care. Don't you love people in your life who actually tell you what you need to hear versus the people who just tell you what you want to hear? There's so many people who just for the sake of some sense of fake peace or some other level of alternative would just rather have people in their life who constantly affirm whatever they love. And they love it because this person's telling them how lovely they are. But you realize that the gospel is an incredible, lovely message, but it is a hard truth to realize that you're a sinner. And that, that by, by result of you being a sinner and me being a sinner, there's some, I can't do for myself what Jesus Christ had to come and do for me. There was a level of spiritual care that we give in the life of the body that culminates the idea, and when he uses this word, uh, this word, when we think about the idea of fellowship, what our text uh, translates, partnership, is that familiar word, that koinonia, that commonality amongst the body, the fellowship in Christ Jesus, the experience of joy like no other because someone took your debt of sin and he took it upon himself 
And he bore it all the way to the cross until he was crucified on our behalf. And he bled and he died. And he hung on the cross and he, and, and he would say words like, Father, forgive them. Because they don't even know what they're doing. This spiritual care. Or for the Christian who's in a situation who knows that they're a believer but they're not walking with God or they're not experiencing the kind of things that they know that God would want them to experience. The care of another brother and sister in Christ to come alongside and say, can we think about this together? You don't have to bear these burdens alone. I think that's part of what Paul is getting at. He gets to the end of this book and he starts to say, he starts commending them to saying, You, as I'm sitting here, Philippians, just knowing that you support me in my troubles of gospel ministry and that you would go to such great lengths and and you would go to such great spiritual care to send one of your own people to be able to care for my needs, but it was just beyond spiritual care. You know, spiritual care for people tends to kind of overflow in physical care and actual tangible care. It wasn't just enough for, for the, the Philippian believers to just send a little postcard at the hands of Epaphroditus, and then he gets open this little thank you card like, thank you, appreciate you praying for us. It wasn't enough. You know, there's something special when all of a sudden you get a letter back, and that's why he's using this language, this commercial language in the text about an account and giving and receiving, because there's, it, it was as if, in the language, he intended to describe it in this way. That Paul would say, when I came to you from the first time, and, and you heard the gospel preach, and so many of the Philippian believers came to know Christ, guess, Paul's saying, guess what happened? We opened an account together. And you're giving, and you're receiving, and I'm giving, and I'm receiving. They gave various tangible care, spiritual support, and Paul, in turn, would give the same kind of commendation and spiritual care and fellowship back. He's giving back to them the very inspired words of God that they could say, wow, uh, Paul, when he is sitting in prison, he's actually thinking about me. You know, and that's the glorious part, isn't it, when you get a letter or you get a card or something in the mail, all of a sudden unexpectedly, and you think, out of all the things this person has going on in their given week, they actually took time to say, I love you, I care about you, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you, and if there's anything that I can do, let me know. That's what the Philippian believers were like. They weren't just people of spiritual care. They were people that had spiritual care that overflowed into tangible care in in this reality of opening up account with a person who is so trusted in the gospel that they could say, we can get behind this. This idea of giving and receiving. It, it reminds, me, reminds me of a particular passage in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, perhaps you have, you have heard this verse, these verses before, verses 9 through 12. Listen to this. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. 
See, these people at the Philippian church were living out the gospel-centered ministry that would say, you know what? I know you're here, Paul, and what can we do tangibly to answer that prayer? And of course, in the Philippian, uh, in the Roman jail system where Paul was, he needed uh, a level of support even for tangible things. And yet he, in his own heart, was so satisfied and filled up with Christ that he doesn't even classify his, his physical needs as something that was even necessary. He would get by. Here's one thing that has amazed me as I have watched uh, even now, over about four to five months in the life of the body at the chapel. We've been talking about unity. We've been talking about enjoyment of living and, and, and ministering side by side for the sake of the gospel. And you may not realize it, or you may not think about it very much, but I am hearing people stepping up to do ministry because they want to worship and obey the living God in the context of community. I mean, they're going to, to leaders and saying, where can I serve? What can I do? I want to be part of the body of Christ. There is nothing that, that is, is, is more satisfying than seeing God's people be united over the sake of the gospel. And it's happening all over the church. People saying, hey, I've got, a, I've got an idea about ministry and and." Can I meet and can I think about this? And watching them formulate this and saying, I just really want to be a blessing to other people. It's going on around you. It's because God is in the midst of what we're doing and God is at work in the lives of people and we're watching it. It should be an encouragement to your soul. When I all of a sudden hear at various different moments in time for a, a person to want to serve and all of a sudden they're turned away because too many other people beat them to the punchline. That's a good thing. That means we got to continue to generate ministry and equip the saints so that we can all continue to be the hands and feet of Christ wherever he might put us. And yes, chapel, we're not doing all of the things that God would want us to do. There are things that we haven't thought about yet of how we can bless people and bless the community that we live in today so that as they think about this particular church that they would see a people that have spiritual care for one another, they, they genuinely love each other, but they go beyond that to say, how can we be a blessing to the people and the cities and the, and the communities that are around us for the sake of the glory of God? It's not so that we can say, oh, go there, that's the, that's the best church in town. I don't know, I haven't been here that long and I've only visited really one. <laughs> I think it's pretty great. <laughs> So I agreed to stay. <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's gospel ministry that unites us. And the only way that we get to that point is if we begin to embrace the gospel itself. And when Paul would say to these Philippian believers, I, I love what he said. He said, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia. What is, what is he getting at? Oh, he is... He is reminiscing in the jail cell about these people's goodness that God had put in their heart. And it was only through Christ that they were able to experience. And he would say, from the very beginning, uh, that I could even remember back, oh, I think he was probably saying to himself, man, I remember when I met Lydia and she invited me from, the, from, the, from that, that small stream 
and she invited me into her home. And oh, I remember when we cast out that demon out of that little girl, and all of a sudden the whole family came, and next time they were in the church with us. And I remember when we were put in prison, and all of a sudden we didn't know what was going to happen, and all of a sudden the church is praying for us, and, and all of a sudden the Philippian jailer is about to kill himself, and he says, stop! <laughs> and all of a sudden now he, they're back in the church, and now the Philippian jailer's there, and Lydia's there, and so many countless others are there, and he says, oh, I remember the beginning. You realize that we have people like that here that can remember the beginning? We have people who are listening online, at least I know, go back and listen to it. People like Norma, people like Lillian, and countless others who have been here for such a long time that could in some sense say, I remember at the very beginning or the earlier stages when we didn't have this huge, this auditorium, we didn't have this particular building, we had something else. And you remember and you say, look at what God can do through a faithful group of people who want to love and exalt his name. He's doing that in and among our midst. We have new beginnings that happen on a fairly regular basis. We just had a new beginning of our, of our, of our camo ministry. And many of you experienced an incredible slip and slide, so I heard, and saw video already, by the way. Because there are people that God has so put in their hearts that, that they, they're thinking of you so that at your very beginning of a certain point of your journey in your life, that they would say, I want them to come in contact with the people of God because there's no one who loves like the people of God. You have that privilege. As a church, we have that opportunity to pray, to support, to do so many things in encouraging elements of ministry. Can I challenge you as a church? Is it too far past that you've forgotten about your missionary, your missionary booklet that you perhaps have set by the wayside and thought to yourself, oh yeah, we have missionaries. We do. How do you support them in prayer? Are you willing to sacrifice on some level the way the Philippian believers were willing to sacrifice for missional endeavors for the sake of the gospel when other people are out there? Yes, we have missionaries that are putting their lives at stake in different portions of the world because they want to share in the gospel ministry and we as the chapel are sharing their trouble and their affliction as they do gospel ministry. Do you pray for them? Do they come to your mind at least regular enough to say, God, keep them safe. Keep them strong in the faith. Help them and, and, and make the hearts of the people they're seeking to reach sensitive to the gospel ministry. Are you taking advantage, Christian, of, of the fellowship that's offered to you? I find so much so often through the years of ministry that you have all of these opportunities and inevitably someone will be out there and they'll say, but pastor, I just don't know where to find the fellowship. Well, here's a good place to start. You start coming and you're singing, you're worshiping, you begin to hear the gospel. Consider thinking about coming to Sunday school Regularly coming to church, getting involved in a small group, serving in some capacity as a believer. What level of hospitality are you inviting people into your life? 
We become so busy that we forget that it's people that God is intended to come to save and it's people that we get to enjoy. Yes, there's hard people, but get over it. You're always going to come across someone who's harder to love. Well, then how could, you, how could you figure out if there weren't people like that how to love your enemy? You need people like that. If everybody was fine, then we wouldn't really grasp an understanding of what it looked like for Jesus to love people who are enemy-like to him and go to such great lengths to sacrifice himself on the cross. Well, these means that he gives to provide, certainly one of them is fellowship, but another one is just this idea of fruit. You notice that he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying, I don't want your gift. What is Epaphroditus doing here? <laughs> That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, he's, and he's not saying, I don't have any needs. <laughs> and he's not saying to them, why are you giving to me? He's saying, I seek, not that I seek the gift. Meaning, I don't necessarily need it to be fully satisfied. Even if you didn't send Epaphroditus, I would believe that you love me. I believe that you care for me. I don't need the gift to spiritually survive because Christ is all I need. I'm content in him. And we walk through that. He's thinking the right thoughts. He's not making his spiritual sustenance dependent upon whether the Philippian church were to ever give to him. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You know what he wants? He wants the Philippian believers to receive a divine sense of reciprocation to the account that they had taken out with Paul that reflects the account that, that had been opened between them and God who they had now been saved and they're now being sanctified. And he says, yes, I want you to give, but it's irrelevant whether you give to me. I'm not so much concerned about the gift you sent as I am about what it's doing for you in your walk with God. It's almost as if this commercial language starts to spill over in this idea that you have an account with God, and when you gave to me, as I'm, I don't even necessarily need the gift to survive, Paul says, he said, but your account and the interest that is accruing in that account before the divine God, the Holy One of Heaven, is starting to increase on your behalf and it demonstrates your worship and your love for God. See, the gift was just the way in which their heart began to overflow, and he was so delighted that God was doing something in their life that at a future day of account, and this is not uncommon for Paul, by the way, because he talked to them about this eschatological day, this day in the future where Christ would come, he would be the judge, you and I would stand before him. And he's saying when that day comes and he and you experience all the fruit and the divine blessing because you thought about the gospel ministry with such high regard, 
that you and the congregation and the people who gave, are, God is going to be glorified with you. This reality of receiving payment in full, which is why he's saying this giving and receiving. He says, I have received full payment and more. This commercial language, again, that he builds off is almost like, kind of like my letter in this particular portion of the letter, here's your receipt. <laughs> Paid in full. <laughs> You've done everything you could to help me in the circumstances I'm in. And, and even though God would sustain me, whether you helped or not, I am so pleased that you would think of the gospel ministry with such high regard that you would, you would accrue the interest from the divine Father in heaven who will say, you know what, this glorifies me when people are involved in the ministry of the gospel. Over and over again, he describes it and he moves into this language. If you didn't notice it, I want to point it out to you. He says, he says I received full payment and more. I am well supplied. It's kind of comical, isn't it, to hear him say that in prison? I am well supplied for. And having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, now notice the language. It is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I mean, he is using Old Testament language deliberately uh, in essence to Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. When, when the Old Testament sacrifices, which they would burn before the Lord, whether it was a sin offering, a thanksgiving offering, those smoke, the smoke that was offered from that, from that sacrifice would rise up toward the heavens, and it is as if the Father in heaven all of a sudden goes, oh my goodness, that smells good. Like that is pleasing to me. That is the goal of a life filled with worship. It is a fragrant offering before the Lord so that all of a sudden you don't get into contact with people who are either unbelievers and have not heard of Christ or with other believers and they, and they, and they take a whiff and they go, whoo, <laughs> someone needs a spiritual shower. <laughs> the, he wants you and I to display a level of worship that when it goes and it rises before the Heavenly Father, he smells it and it's like, that is good. That's exactly what Romans 12 is talking about, by the way. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can do what is pleasing and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of worship. See, Christians are living examples of worship, which is why Paul would say, Philippian church, you are a living testimony of your very worship to God and it's not the giving that I'm concerned about. It's the worship of God that then transformed into meeting tangible needs. It's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice. Notice this in Hebrews 13, verses 15 to 16. I love this verse. Through him, meaning Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When we, think, when we begin to think about verses such as these, and we, and we look into our lives, and, I, and it forces us to ask ourselves, do I give like that? 
Do I look at people's needs around me like that? Do I look at the work of the gospel like that? Let me just ask you a challenging question. One that I think everybody always criticizes the church for. Because you go to church long enough and you'll hear somebody who comes in and says, that church, that's all they want, they want my money. No, see the church doesn't want your gift. They want what comes as a result of that gift is the heart that is devoted to God. Let me ask you this, because I know this happens all over the place. Do you give? And you're like, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, he's talking about money. What is he doing? The reality is, giving often is a reflection of something that's deeper in people's lives. Where we put our money often reveals what we love, what we value, what we care about. And for these people, they value the gospel ministry in such a way that they would want to give. It's important. But let me ask you an even more, more important question than whether you give. What kind of heart attitude do you have when you give, if you give? You notice we didn't take a, a particular, uh, we didn't send the offering plate around, right? But there's offering boxes at the back. That's not intended for you to get up right now and run and get them and fulfill your conscience that's now, what do I do? It's for you to think about this reality. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. If you're thinking to yourself as a Christian, I don't want to give, please don't. <laughs> Keep it in your pocket. Because God doesn't want it if you don't want to give with joy. And what Paul's commending these individuals for was the heart attitude of the account that, they, that had been given to them before God, and it was overflowing in tangible giving so that Paul could then experience the blessing of being cared for. Can I encourage you to think, if you do give, and there are so many that do, and it's such a blessing to be able to see that, okay? Not that I see what is being given, but you see the results of what has been given, but can I just encourage you, if, you, if, you, if you're here and, and you've already been doing and you've been giving and you've allowed this to overflow and it's a pleasing aroma and fragrant offering before God, do you stop for a moment before you put your offering in the box or before you hit submit online and did you, do you just say to yourself, Father in heaven, thank you for supplying for my needs in such a way that I am joy-filled to be able to hit submit and send this amount and be part of a gospel community that is taking the, the, the resources that you give in the body and doing with them what could never be done by one individual person. And God, I'm part of that. There has to be a sense of gratitude and enjoyment. And in a world where you just set up the electronic advance, all of a sudden you may not stop and think about it for a moment to say, Lord, you've given to me so much. How can I give back? And that is the heart that Paul commends of these particular individuals. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. One of, one of the biggest things I think that my parents could have done for me at the earliest of ages, the moment that I, that I got my first check, the first question that my dad asked me was, all right, what portion of that belongs to the Lord? And there, I, can't, I can remember back at that particular age, there was parts of me that was like, no, but mine. 
Like, God didn't work for that. I did. But the reality is for the believer to relinquish the rights of even all that you possess to say these come from the storehouses of heaven and where they came from, there's a whole lot more. So I don't have to worry about whether I have enough because he has enough. And I just keep doing what he asked me to do. And, and for, for my dad and for my mom to set me down and say, all right, how are we going to help you learn that giving is a reflection of worship? It was so important to my life because it leads us to the other the third means by which God continues to provide. And it's not just financial needs, it's not just fellowship needs, it's himself. And that's why he comes to the end of this and he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Isn't this interesting, this verse in Proverbs 11? One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. These proverbial statements to, to assault our, our conscience and to say, if you think, well, I'll give when God supplies for me and then I'll give. Guess what? You'll never give. But here he's saying, and, and here you have Solomon telling his son, don't be stingy as a king. You ought to be the model example of what it looks like to give freely, to care for others. And you will never be for wanting anything. Notice these verses, not only in Proverbs, but also like 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, just tuck this away, because I don't have much time to spend there. In fact, I have no time to spend there, okay? But do this, tuck this away. Do you realize in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that he's talking in the fuller context about the churches in Macedonia of which Philippi was the main one who was giving. And he says there, they didn't give out of the abundance, they gave out of their poverty. That says something when you think about giving. They didn't say, well, we got a bunch of leftovers, so I thought we'd ship them over. They said they had nothing. They were poverty-stricken. They were persecuted. They were suffering. And they're still saying, we've got something here we can send that's going to be a way to be a fragrant aroma before the Lord. And he says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And the Philippian believers understood that. They took joy in the opportunity to hear back that their gift had been sent to Paul and that their need, his needs were being supplied for. And I just remind you of this particular truth is that God will supply what you need when you need it. If he hasn't supplied it yet, well then you don't need it yet. You may need it, but maybe he knows that you have to spend some time thinking and trusting and praying because often our temptation as believers is this. Oh, I have a financial need. What do I do? I need a second job. I need to figure out something online. I got to bring more revenue in. Even before we finally go, Maybe I should pray about this. Where will this need come from? And God, what do you want me to do about it? And instead of praying, we become, become panicking, saying, God, come on now, I, I think now is the time. 
and you kind of like go out to the mailbox and you just hope somebody excitedly put something there for you that maybe God in his providence would send and then you're disappointed. Like, okay, maybe it's tomorrow. Whether it's tomorrow, the next day, or whatever it is, or whatever time frame, you can be sure of this, that whenever that need arises and God knows that you're something that you need, he will supply it for you. But the biggest need that we have is not a need for finances or to have more stuff, is it? Our biggest need is Jesus Christ, which is why he highlights where, how these needs get supplied. And my God, don't you love this personal sense? He's saying, my God, the God that I serve, he supplies every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a statement. I mean, he's not saying, because Christ is so rich, therefore he's going to go to his storehouses and then he'll just give you everything. He's saying, this is the riches of Christ, meaning there is the riches that only belong to Christ. There is something special about this person of Jesus Christ. There is something like about him that no other thing could be said about him. And you know what it is? Oh, and we need this. He is the perfect righteous one of heaven who sacrificed himself on your behalf, on my behalf, on every sinner's behalf so that they could have all of their needs supplied, not tangible needs, their spiritual needs. See, the sinner is lost and destitute to hell for eternity because of the sin, not only that they were born with, but the sin that they have chosen to live by, the purpose that they live for that is not God. And he says, God will supply all of your needs and he will supply your spiritual needs in the riches of Christ so that you can say with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want because he's given me everything. So that I can say according to 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may abound in every good work. But what are these riches of Christ? Who is this person? I mean, think about this. Christ come in the flesh, representing to us the eternal riches of the Father. God the Son, who the eternally existed from all time past, the John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He came on our behalf to display the riches of God, who this omnipresent being now took on the form of humanity and suffered in a way that was unspeakable to take your sin and my sin this omniscient God who knew everything and all things of all time, both past, present, and future, would, send his, would, would come in the presence of Jesus Christ. This omnipotent God who could stop the storm in the sea when Jesus was sleeping and all of the, the disciples were panicking. And this omnipotent God and the, and the panicking disciples would say, what are you going to leave us to die? And he gets up and says, peace be still. This God who is completely unchangeable, sinless, forgiving. The prophet that was given of the Old Testament in Luke chapter 1 by Zechariah that says, you will be the prophet of the Most High. 
Jesus, the great high priest of Hebrews, who said that once he, sa- he, he sacrificed his once-for-all sacrifice, that no other sacrifices in, it could, could ever have to be sacrificed because he took all the sin on himself. Jesus the King, the one in whom all Christians of all time will demonstrate allegiance. This merciful, kind, gracious, loving, truth-centered, all-compassionate, wise God who loved you so deeply, so intimately that he sent his one and only son so that you could find that that what you were needing was fully supplied in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember this verse in 1 John 4 where John says to these individuals, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Let me just speak to any of you who might be here and you might might say, you know what? What is this gospel stuff? What, What is this need for salvation that people would love gospel centered ministry in a way that they would give in this way, in a way that God supplies through his Son all that you need? There's a problem that I had, and I I can almost guarantee you have it, I'm pretty sure. It's the Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is a mark that we have missed as people who have been created because of sin that came into the world in Genesis chapter 3. And this desperate need that separated us from an eternal fellowship with the Father, it was... It was broken to such a degree that God God pushed Adam and Eve out of the garden and put an angel with a flaming sword there so that they wouldn't take the tree of life and be eternally destitute for the rest of their days. That in Genesis 3, he promised a Messiah who would take care of the sin problem that you and I have. And he did through the person of Jesus Christ and he supplied all that we would ever spiritually need so much to the point that when Jesus came to the New Testament in John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. If that's you and you realize this morning that you are a sinner and that there's nothing good that you can do in order to get to heaven, I know there's a, a lot of religious systems that really end up displaying this reality that they, they dispense to people that somehow you'll, get it, you'll do enough good works that you can get the balances to, to, to accurately fall in your favor. But the problem is, is that sin will always separate you from God and you, there needs to be a perfect sacrifice and Jesus was that sacrifice. Apart from repenting of your sin and saying and confessing that Jesus is Lord, this is what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're here and you recognize that is your need, you can walk out of here today being one of the most celebratory individuals. You might want to even run up and down these aisles. We'll stop you. <laughs> we don't do that in church. <laughs> Just kidding. But you will want to celebrate 
Because this divine, kind, merciful, loving creator of the universe took care of the biggest problem that would separate us from union with God in Christ Jesus. And you can solve that today by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. And you know what he'll say to you? He'll say, welcome home, son or daughter. And you now can be part of the adopted family of God. And you can live in community, celebratory in a way that God has supplied all that you need. If that's you, and you're, I don't know what you're thinking, you're like, who do I talk to? Pick, pick any member here, any individual that you know as a believer, and I can guarantee you they're going to want to come and they're going to want to show you this truth and walk through this with you in the gospel because in Acts chapter 4, Listen to this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you can have that by the gift of Jesus Christ's righteousness applied to your account. And when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your sin. He looks and he sees the righteousness of Christ of which you do not deserve, of which you are completely unworthy, and you live the rest of your days in, in, in worship and a fragrant aroma before the Father. That's why Paul was so excited with the Philippian believers. They got it. They knew God would supply all their needs because out of their poverty, they could give because the storehouses and the richness of Jesus Christ would supply every spiritual blessing that was ever needed on their behalf. Now, as we conclude and we think about these things, let me just remind us of our theme verse. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. And he ends the chat, this particular section by saying these incredible words, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christians, brothers, sisters in Christ, that is why we live. That is why we give. That is why we enjoy partnership and fellowship in the gospel. And it's for one reason and for one reason alone, that to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that the kindness and riches of which you have in heaven was displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh God, I don't even know where I would be if the Spirit of God would not have drawn me to a saving understanding of Jesus Christ to help me understand my own sin that separated me from you. But in your kindness, Lord, you sent Jesus Christ for me so that we could, we could enjoy not only individually, but in the capacity of the local church, the riches and the fullness of your son, Jesus Christ, who supplies all of our needs. Lord, I pray that if there is individuals here who are wrestling with that need that they realize that there is sin that is separating them from you, Lord, that they would be bold and courageous and listen to the work of the Spirit that is there to draw them to a, to a, to a relationship 
with you, Father, through your Son. Lord, help us as we look to worship you in a way that would be a fragrant aroma in your sight. In your name we pray. Amen.